Hello from Yerushalayim and Beit Shemesh. It's Binyamin Rose and myself, Gedalia Gutentag, with Mishpachal's Homefront, covering Israel's biggest conflict in a generation. Hello, Binyamin. Good to hear from you again. Let me begin, Binyamin, with an experience I had last night. I was in the South, the South being anything outside Beit Shemesh, and with a group of a few hundred soldiers at a barbecue. So we know that barbecues have turned into a cottage industry. This is the civilian population's way to just help in any way they can, the soldiers. The invitation came via our colleague and former columnist in Mishpacha, Mo Mernick. And the company he works for, Triple Whale, they sponsored a barbecue and it was a special event. There was music and food from a few hundred soldiers from a combat engineering battalion. There's a chance to sit and talk to them and to just to gain impressions and just to say to them, thank you. What did you learn from them about the military campaign? So this is the interesting thing. Obviously, they don't share a great detail of direct information. But, for example, one guy who was a driver of a D9, these massive armored bulldozers that are at the forefront of the IDF operations there, I asked him what the experience of combat was like. And this was a young guy who was 24 years old. And he said to me, listen, there are miracles. It is just a miracle. And he said, the weight of fire that they're getting when they go in there is absolutely incredible. And they're getting fired at by systems like the Cornet, which is a Russian-made anti-tank weapon capable of penetrating even the most advanced armor. I said, can it get through your D9 armor? He said, yes, depending on the angle. And his tank and his D9 is defenseless, essentially. Some of the others are fitted with a system that can actually take these things down. He said, but mine isn't. Our older ones aren't. And therefore, what they do is they huddle together. Imagine kind of like a flock of these massive armored beasts kind of huddling for protection, like a herd of elephants. But he said the weight of fire there is immense and it is very, very, very scary. He said the job of these beasts is to push down the houses on the terrorists and to destroy these massive mines that can take out tanks. It's a baptism of fire and is very, very intense for them. And it's every bit as bad as was feared. And yet they're pushing forward. And so it's kind of an insight into what's going on there. And I had another conversation with a guy in which I raised him a phrase that we've used over here, which is this is a giant combat engineering operation. And he said, you're absolutely right. The army do not move a meter without these combat engineers, which means essentially that the guys literally on the front pushing forward are these guys that we're discussing, talking to, and they're in the line, very much the line of fire. There's one other thing, Benyamin, I'd like to share from them which is that these people want to go all the way. The motivation there is incredibly high, meaning that you talk to people from left and from right and from very different backgrounds and ages, and all the motivation to say, that's it. They were talking to one guy who was clearly quite sad, actually. He said, I've got his wife and his child at home, and it's very difficult. It's very lonely for us, very difficult. He said, but what choice do we have? We have to fight this one. And that was so powerful for me. This is a wall to wall. It's holding the army. And I think across society, at least inside Israel, there's the realization of backs to the wall, we've got to finish the job over here, which I think is going to clash with the mounting external pressure that we're feeling from the direction of Western powers. We're starting to get pushback from the Biden administration. We've seen that clearly over the last couple of days, where again, there is uh, constant demands for humanitarian pause, even it was reported that uh, the Biden administration requested Israel have a three-day ceasefire in order to get hostages out. Tanyo rejected that. 
We see a couple of things going on also in the North. Last night I was listening to a podcast or a webinar, I should say, by Jinsa in uh, Washington. And on the program was a former Lieutenant Colonel, Sarit Zahavi, who worked for about 15 years in military intelligence. And now she analyzes what's going on in the North. She mentioned that what I see now, I'm just going to paraphrase some of her quotes. She said, what I see now is Hezbollah picking the targets very carefully to damage the Israeli preparedness along the border. She added, this is preparing for invasion. This is exactly what Hamas did on the Gazan border. Do we have any idea of what would she mean? Because from the observing from a distance, it just looks random attacks. But what you're saying is something more targeted here. So what? What's the nature of these targets? Lieutenant Colonel Zahavi said that there have been 600 crossings of the border from Lebanon to Israel. It's not refugees, it's not immigrants, it's touching the fence and going back to check where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are. And once again, she said that these are preparations for invasion. So the lesson is that we can't be complacent. It seems like things are going well on the Gaza front. But again, there are two pressures here. Number one, we don't know when the evil is going to break out from the north or if it will at all. And getting back to what I said at the beginning about the pressure from the Biden administration. So last night, there were off-year elections in America in several states, and things actually went very well for Biden. I'm just going to mention two or three quick things. In Kentucky, Democrat Governor Andy Beshear won a second term. This was an election that his Republican opponent tried to frame into a referendum on Biden. So Biden passed that test. In Virginia, the Democrats kept control of the Senate, and also they flipped the House of Delegates. So even though Virginia has a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, who some people thought might be a late entrant into the 2024 Republican race for the nomination, he got trounced last night. In Ohio, there was a vote for expanding abortion protection. So really, it was a good night for Joe Biden. So I can look at it two ways. Either A, Biden will feel more secure. And if he's more secure, so then the less pressure that he might be inclined to put on Israel. Or you can look at it the other way around, that perhaps he'll be more confident and more emboldened and that the calls to Israel to not to cease fire, maybe, but to stop a lot of the bombings from the Air Force or for longer humanitarian pauses could end up impacting Israel's strategy. And again, right now, Israel's holding tough. They're standing firm. But depending on how much pressure comes down. We'll see whether Israel will be able to stand up to the pressure and stick to their guns and say, listen, we have to do this. Like you said before, the soldiers are very motivated. Or are they going to start to back off and cave in, perhaps prematurely? Well, it's interesting, Binyama, that you set it up in that way, because it would seem to me that the alternative to, you know, a strengthened Biden is surely a good thing in the sense that the alternative within the Democratic Party seems to be worse. I think we talked yesterday about Obama's intervention. Now, we know that Obama does not just blurt things out, and he's very measured, he's very calculated. And so that was his marker far to the left of Biden on the Israel issue. But that came at the same time as we're hearing various rumblings, David Axelrod, an influential former Obama advisor, you know, reacting to the news of the New York Times poll, which showed that Trump is ahead of Biden five out of six swing states. David Axelrod comes and says that some of the effect that we need to be replacing Joe Biden, we need to be moving off from it for 2024. So there seems to be kind of, again, when you deal with a group of such controlled, calculating political operators as the Obama camp, one has to suspect that coalescing around Israel, particularly the Israel-Gaza conflict, could be the final reason that the Obama camp 
has to break with Biden and to move against him. You know, we've had the idea that they're going to drop in Michelle Obama. I don't know how much uh, credibility you give to that. But what I'm saying is uh, simply that I think Biden is by far the Israel's best hope within the Democratic Party and the current constellation. We should give him more credit to that effect. The chances of Biden dropping out at this late date and the chances of any other serious candidate stepping in were basically in the middle of November at this point and the first primaries are a month or two away. Highly unlikely. And as far as Michelle Obama is concerned, I poured a lot of cold water on that in 2020. And I would say the same thing now. I don't see her as any kind of serious candidate. So, okay, I'm duly taken to task on that theory over that. I think we can conclude with a bit of strategic good news from a very, very, one of the most interesting observers of international geopolitics is Walter Russell Mead writing over at the Wall Street Journal. And he said, although there's a lot is not known about the what's going to happen in Gaza, in the big picture, there's something worth looking at, which is that Israel is succeeding and Iran has failed, has miscalculated in one key regard, which is that part of what they would dearly like to do is to divide the anti-Iran coalition, which was with talks of normalization and diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. And so it's Iran's major goal to play divide and conquer, split up that coalition. And yet, he says, the moderate Arab states, being the Gulf partners, they have not walked away from Israel. They have clearly said that things can get back on track after the war. And so that is a major plus. So amid all the doom and gloom and the bad news, Benjamin, I think there is a ray of light that is something positive happening and that the war is not going all Iran's way, certainly. So there's a tentative good news, cautious in Gaza and in all scale. I think we have to look out for Lebanon, for Hezbollah, but there certainly is reasons to be more optimistic. How do you read that, Benjamin? I would say that anything that weakens Iran is uh, obviously uh, to the advantage of the entire world. I'm going to go back to what I wrote in one of my columns a couple of weeks ago, that if Biden is really serious about weakening Iran and if he really understands the damage that the Obama-Biden policy on Iran for the last, let's say, 12 of the last 16 years has wrought on the world, what Biden needs to do is to start purging his administration of a wide swath of pro-Iranian forces that are in the State Department, that are in his administration per se as advisors. I'm not going to mention names right now. And until that happens, I'm not going to get uh, overly enthusiastic about the Biden administration or long-term support for Israel uh, coming from uh, that end. I I just, uh, I see it unraveling at some point. And on that suitably cautious note, we will conclude, Benjamin, and I wish you all our listeners well and see you tomorrow.